All right, good morning. Uh, welcome to Upgrade Your Faith. I'm Luke Gridless, and this is one of our quarantine uh, sermons, which I'm glad I still get to uh, bring the word to you guys, but kind of getting tired of quarantine. <laughs> looking forward to uh, returning to normal life, Re- looking forward to um, uh, being with people in person and, and worshiping with people. Uh, but we continue on. Uh, I'll, I'll give my plug that I, I try to give every week. Uh, one, remember that if you are part of a local church, stay connected. Right, The church is not the building. It doesn't matter if the building's open or closed. Uh, the church is you, the people. And so the same mission that you had of going out into the world and making disciples, uh, that same mission of being a person of power, love, and self-discipline, uh, those same tasks that you had previously, you still have right now. Um, and I would even encourage you as, as you're sitting there, if you are part of a church and you have a role, you're a teacher or you're uh, you know, a facilities worker or you're whatever your ministry is, uh, help your pastors, help your people figure out how do you keep doing those things? How do you keep serving in your roles? How do you help continue to grow the kingdom even though you find yourself in a completely different place? We often find sometimes when our normal is broken, when the normal is thrown out, uh, that we stop doing the things we know we should do. And this is actually when we got to get creative. This is when we've got to get innovative. This is when we've got to figure out how do we keep doing what we were called to do. And the mission of the church, it keeps going no matter what. It keeps going no matter whether there's, there's a building open or not. And so I encourage you, think about that. How do you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing? How do you keep doing work for the kingdom? Second, keep tied in with your local body of believers. Um, so, uh, you know, do a Zoom call and, and do a Bible study with some friends. Um, get on FaceTime and do a Bible study with some friends. Do something to make sure that you're staying engaged with your local body. Um, also, if you gave to a church, continue to give to a church. Um, give grace to a lot of your leaders because a lot of your leaders, they don't, they've never been through this. So they're trying to figure these things out. Um, they're trying to make sure that they're, they're leading in the best way possible. So pray for pastors. Pray for everybody who's church staff. Be thinking about how to continue to do your mission and keep that focus going. All right, I hope everybody is doing good. Um, I, I know it's a little bit different. We're starting to get into the groove of things, though. Um, so crazy times we live in. Crazy times we live in. Today we're going to be talking about being in isolation. And specifically, we're going to look at a time when Jesus was in isolation and how did Jesus handle the temptations that came with it. I think this is important for us because anytime your normal changes, um, you find yourself experiencing new opportunities and you also find yourself experiencing um, new temptations, right? You you find yourself with both pros and cons of different situations. You know, like for me, I don't have to commute every day. So a huge positive of that has been, um, I, I probably spent three hours a day in the car if I added it all up from driving kids to school, driving to work, driving home. And I love, <clears throat> I love that I have that time back. That's amazing, having that, that, that three hours back to be with the kids, to be with the wife, to, to be with my family. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And so that's been a huge positive. Uh, a huge negative has definitely been my, my fashion sense. Um, the other day, it was like four o'clock and I'm wearing soccer indoor cleats because they're comfortable. Uh, they're, they're not like the hard cleats, they're like <clears throat> turf, so they're soft. I'm wearing sweatpants 
and a Rocky cutoff sweater, Rocky Balboa. And I'm like, there's no way I would have been wearing this at any other point in time um, other than being in quarantine. And it wasn't that I just woke up. I've been wearing that all day long. I actually got dressed in that outfit. Um, so th that's the craziness of, of these situations is that you just find yourself uh, dealing with all kinds of new things. And so the other thing, though, from a much more serious standpoint that we've got to think about as believers is we've got to think about the temptations that we face when we're in isolation versus the strength that sometimes comes from the community. And I think especially for folks that are members of churches, right, where you've had a body of believers around you who are praying for you, who are loving on you, who uh, are supporting you, who are seeing you face to face on a regular basis, there's a strength you have in that community. Um, it's a beautiful thing when you reach a place with people where they know you, um, and, and you can't lie to them. Um, you know, I always use this example, like, my, my parents know me well enough that, you know, as a teenager, I could walk into the room, and my mom would be like, don't lie to me. And I hadn't even said anything. I hadn't even said anything, but she could tell by my mannerisms, the way I'd walk in, the facial expression I had, all those little nuances that you have when you know somebody. She could see those and go, uh-uh, I, I know what you're about to do. And there's a beauty, too, when you're part of a local church where when you have that kind of connection where you can walk in and you could try to lie to people and be like, oh, how was your week? Oh, it was great. And they'll look at you and go, no, it wasn't. We know it wasn't. We can tell by the way you're looking at us. We can tell by your face. Uh, we can tell by the things that you're experiencing that there's no way you had a good week. So what really is happening here? And so when you find yourself in isolation, sometimes you're disconnected from that network. Um, sometimes you're your support system seems to be gone. And what you now find is, is there are different temptations, uh, there are different struggles, and there are different things that you need to be prepared for. At the same time, there are other opportunities for good. And so I want us to think about that a little bit today. I want us to think about one, how did Jesus handle the temptations that he dealt with in isolation? What was Satan's technique in going at him in those situations? And then how do we see what Jesus did and use those things in our own lives to be successful? So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read about the temptation of Jesus Christ. So again, this is Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. So it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And so, as we look at this passage, I think there's some very 
very important things for us to understand. I think first and foremost what you see is this isolation that was created for Jesus was something that the Spirit led him into. It says that the Spirit led him to this. And so um, I think this refers to the situation that we kind of find ourselves in now. There are going to be moments in life, there are going to be moments in time where where you are is out of your control. You, you don't control this. Uh, I, I've shared over the last few weeks, I do think one of the benefits of this scenario, and there are very few, um, I mean, when you think about all the people with illness, all the people with stress, all the people who are afraid, all the people with financial you know, difficulties because of this, there's not really a lot of benefits here. But I do think one benefit from a spiritual standpoint is the realization of all of us that we are not in control. We love to give this illusion that we're in control. We love to tell ourselves that we're in control, but the reality of the situation often is is that we are not in control. And this world can erupt into unbelievable chaos for us at any moment in time. And I think over the last month as the world has gone through this and longer in some places, we have all been hit with the realization we do not control our own destinies. And so I think similarly, this was a scenario where the Spirit took Jesus, led him to the wilderness, and God had a purpose in this. And so I think that's an important thing just even on the outset. I think a lot of times when we go through struggle, when we go through strife, or when we go through a season like this, we, we fall to our knees and we pray regularly for the season to end, right? Please, Lord, let this storm go. Let the storm pass. Help me survive the storm, but please let it end, please let it end, please let it end. And that's a good prayer. I mean, I'll, I'll be real with you. I've been praying every night, been praying with the kids that, you know, this whole coronavirus thing goes away. At the same time, I think it's very foolish of us to make sure we're not just praying for the end. If that's all we're praying for, that there's some foolishness in that. We should also be praying for, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? There is a purpose that God has in this storm. For each and every one of us. There's a purpose he probably has for the nation and for the world. There's a purpose he has for you and for me in it. And so not only should we be praying for God, what will, or, or let this end, but Lord, what will I learn in this? What are you teaching me in the midst of this? If we don't learn, then all this was wasted. And so we see this setting. Jesus is carried by the spirit into the wilderness and he faces this temptation. So let's kind of look through these temptations, right? So temptation one that he is met with is the, the, the temptation of physical need, right? So if we, we go back, <clears throat> it says he's for, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Then what happens? Satan comes to him and says what? Command these stones become bread. Command these stones become bread. So what's the first thing that Satan plays at? The first thing that Satan plays at is that natural physical instinct and desire that you have. Um, and to be real, this is probably where a lot of us struggle. This is where, where a lot of us struggle every day is with either lust or with, um, you know, uh, our, our addiction to food or to drugs or to alcohol, right? This is where we struggle with my body wants something. I know that there's some instant gratification in this and I want that. And I'm going to make that happen. And, you know, everybody, everybody's talked about this, but like isolation, one of the scary things about isolation is, you know, if you have friends or family members, um, church members, brothers and sisters in the faith who, who have been addicts, you pray strongly for them during this period of time. 
isolation, being locked up in your home in, in times of high stress where there's not other people around you. It's one of the most tempting things to give into these physical needs. Because in a way, it's almost like you're in the dark. It's like you're in the dark, and so now you feel like you can do something that you could never do if you were at work, or if you were in public, or if you were at church, right? And so there's this physical need stress that's there. And I think what's interesting about this first temptation that you see with Jesus is that Jesus understands intrinsically from the very beginning of this that there is a temptation and that there is a tempter who is trying to get him off course, right? The reality of what Satan tempts Jesus with is not actually sinful in and of itself. There is absolutely nothing wrong with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who helped create the universe. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Jesus taking a, a rock and turning it into a piece of bread. There's nothing wrong with that. The reason, though, that he doesn't, and what is wrong about it, is not the actual action itself. It's within the context of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. God brought Jesus to the wilderness for this purpose of fasting and prayer and to use self-discipline and self-control. And now Satan is coming and wanting to take that and flip it for something else. And so I think this is an important one for us because as we get more mature in the faith, brothers and sisters, what we have to understand about temptation is temptation changes. Right? There is a point in time where we are all babies in the faith and there are baseline easy things that we're still trying to figure out, right? So you will meet Christians who are still struggling with alcohol addiction, sex addiction, with you know not even addiction levels, but just you know basic things, stealing, lying, Ten Commandment type things, and you'll see them still struggling with those things. But there's a point in time where even once you you get past a lot of those day-to-day -day activities, you're still going to be tempted. You're still going to have Satan come at you. And often all that changes is the way that he tempts you. And the things that he strikes at, they're much more nuanced, they're much more difficult, and they're, they're, they're a higher level game that he's playing with you. And so you look at this setting, and it would be so easy for Jesus to justify to himself, go ahead and do this. That's not sinful. It's not sinful for me to be the creator and to change this. It's not sinful for me to eat. No, but what would be sinful? What would be sinful is, is, you know, God sent you here for a reason, and then you are going against that reason. That would be sinful. And so I think it's important for us to understand what Satan's trying to do here. And I think the first key to victory that you see in Jesus is Jesus understands from the second the tempter shows, this is war. This is war. And I think that is such an important mindset for us to have because brothers and sisters, I think sometimes as Christians, we think that there are off times, like there's off season. Like, hey, if I'm not at work and, you know, if I'm not out in the world, that I can just relax and rest. And, and listen, yes, you can absolutely rest in the Lord, but please don't ever fool yourself into thinking that Satan's ever going to give you free time where he's not going to tempt you, where he's not going to come after you, and that he's not trying to bring you down. Um, I had a buddy who, who you know, fought in war zones, and he, he talked about the thing that he 
always just kept in mind was is that there would be days that felt normal. He's like, there'd be days where, you know, I didn't have duty and I'd play video games and I'd FaceTime people and we'd play pool and, you know, we'd barbecue and, you know, a lot of the actions kind of felt like normal days. But he said, you always were ready because at a moment's notice, all that could just flip away. And before you know it, you got bullets flying by your head. And he said, so the big difference was, is yes, you'd have some of these same activities that you'd have in your day-to-day life back home, but you just always knew. You were always ready. You always were slightly on guard because you knew you were living in a war zone. And I think that's similar to how Christians need to view their own lives. Yes, there's times to sleep, and yes, there's times to play games, and yes, there's times to do fun things. But just always be aware that you're living behind enemy lines, and always be aware that you have an enemy that will always try to strike you down. And so I think the first thing you see from Jesus is in this temptation is he realizes from the onset of it, this is temptation. And so I think we've got to be careful and we've got to be aware. When you're at home all the time, the temptation of, of addressing your physical needs is going to be stronger, right? It's going to be stronger. A lot of us, uh, we're not going to be gluttons at work. A lot of us aren't going to pursue sexual desires at work. A lot of us aren't going to pursue uh, drugs or alcohol addiction at work. Why? Because there's people around. It's in public. But when you're in isolation, when you're in your home, when you're by yourself, then there's a temptation to those things. You know, even for me, uh, I, I felt here at the house during the first early weeks, my, my initial thought was like, well, can't get anywhere. We might as well just eat and gain weight. Who cares? Right? I'm bored. <laughs> Let me go to the pantry. Let me see what's there. Let's order out. Let's just eat food and I'll eat my stress away and, you know, I'll deal with it that way. And, and immediately realized how one wrong that would be. And then also how dangerous that could be with something we don't even know how long it's going to last. Right? You give into that just a little bit and what happens? It turns into a lifestyle. And so temptation one we see is, is Satan coming at him with physical needs. And the success we see from Jesus is one understanding he's being tempted. And two, we see him going back to the word of God to defend himself. Right? Satan comes with temptation and what does Jesus use to combat it? Jesus uses the word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, let's look at specifically what he says. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what does Jesus realize this temptation is really about? This temptation is about, do you go after your physical desires first, or do you take care of your spiritual desires first? Right? Satan is trying to pull Jesus to the fact, you're hungry. You need food, Jesus. Take care of the physical need. And Jesus remembers, I was sent here by my Father to prepare for my ministry. I am in the midst of feeding my soul, and you want me to stop to feed my body. No. There are more important things for me to feed on right now than bread. And what I need to feed on in this moment is my soul hungers, and my soul needs the Word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, that's the thing to think about. We are so trained. We are so trained to actually be slaves to our flesh. Right? Think about most of your life. 
Most of your life, if you're hungry, you stop working, you go get food. Most of your life, if you're tired, you take a nap. Most of your life, if you're thirsty, you go get a drink of water, right? Most of your life, if there's a physical need coming to you, you just go do it. And what we should be learning is, no, I am in charge of my body and my spirit. My spirit will first dictate whether or not those physical needs are actually needs and if they're being done in the right way and at the right time. And so Jesus prioritizes the spiritual hunger over that of his physical hunger. And that is an important thing that you and I need to make sure we are doing in this time. Are you feeding your soul first before you ever get to feeding your body? Let's look at the second temptation. So second temptation, and you can call these different things, but really what I the second temptation is, is this temptation for entitlement. So let's look at it and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So after the temptation about the, the, the food, we hear him say this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, this is very interesting. It's very interesting because you see the escalation of temptation. And again, I think this is a huge thing for us as Christians to understand. It would be so nice. It would be so nice if you and I only had one or two areas of, of temptation in our lives and once we defeated those, that that was it. We win. Satan disappears. Temptation disappears. We don't have to worry about these issues anymore. And it's just smooth sailing from that point forward. But unfortunately, that is not how it works. Your enemy is a prowling lion and he is constantly looking to devour you. And just because one thing doesn't work doesn't mean he gives up. In fact, he keeps pushing forward. He will change his tactics. He will change his methods. He will change the things he's tempting you on. And he will continue to mature and to grow in those ways. And you see that happen here. Notice, first time he comes at Jesus, it's with a simple physical need of food. And it's just a request that the Satan makes of him, right? Go ahead, feed yourself. Jesus responds with scripture and with a focus on who he is and what his mission is, right? I'm here with God. I, I need my father's word more than I need anything else. I'm going to use the word to guide myself. So then what does Satan do in the second temptation? In the second temptation, Satan's temptation is him misusing scripture, right? So Satan comes at you, not with an unscriptural word here, but he comes to you with words from the Bible and says, well, okay, so we're going to talk Bible? Let's talk Bible. In the Bible, it says, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Son of God, you could throw yourself from the highest point and angels will come and catch you. Angels will take care of you. So let's do that. And, and a little bit of what Jesus is being tempted at here is the sense of entitlement, right? That passage that talks about his foot not striking the stones refers to the fact that as the Messiah, as the Son of God, this is an unbelievably powerful person. This is an unbelievably powerful person that's watched over by God, that's protected by God. And I think what Satan's playing at here a bit is, 
you're in a desert starving. You're the son of God and you're in the desert starving. You're suffering. Why? Why? You're the most blessed there is. You shouldn't be doing this. You, sh you're, you deserve better than this. You deserve more than this. And he's playing at this idea of who he is and what he deserves. And again, I think, brothers and sisters, this is where you and I can relate so well, right? You know, there's those baseline temptations we have that tie to physical need. And then there's ones that get a little bit deeper within ourselves. And, and a little bit of what's being played at here is this idea of, of you deserve better. Go get your own. Right? Go get what you deserve. You deserve better than this. Why are you going through all this darkness, all this pain, all this suffering? You're worth more. You deserve more. And what this is trying to do is take Jesus' identity as the Messiah and put it as the first and foremost thing other than it being part of him being the Son of God. Right, like, I don't know about you, but I've done this before. I've done this before where I have justified my sin by saying, well, God wants what's good for me. God wants what's right for me. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to feel good. God wants me to have nice things. God wants me, right? I, I lie to myself about, well, because God loves me. He wants me to go good through good things. Okay, let me separate that. I'm deeming this is good. I'm deeming this is enjoyable. I'm deeming that this is, is good for me. So I'm going to do this, even though they don't align. Right? And what I'm telling myself is, is because I deserve something good, that this thing's okay then. And I'm taking it out of the context of what has God the Father asked me to do? What is God the Father trying to do in my life? And what does God the Father say about this specific action? And so the temptation here is, hey, Jesus, you deserve better than this. You deserve better than this. Let's really show what you deserve. And notice again how Jesus responds. After he is given this temptation, he says, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Yes, you have faith in God. Yes, you know that God can do the miraculous. Does that mean you put yourself in a situation intentionally where that's what has to happen? No. No. Guess what? As believers, we have been born throughout this book. We've been warned throughout this book that yes, we are the children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters with the Savior. But guess what? Life will be hard. He tells us that over and over again. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There will be darkness. There will be hurt. There will be want. What God promises is not an easy path. What he promises is, is if you follow me, if you follow the shepherd, I will get you through all those times. Right? Call back to Psalm 23, which we talk about all the time. Psalm 23 does not promise that you and I will stay in the green pastures by the quiet waters all the days of our lives. It does not promise that. It says there's moments where we will be in the green pastures by the quiet waters, but there will also be moments where what? Where we are in the valley of the shadow of death surrounded by our enemies. 
That's when we're following the shepherd. Right? That's not us wandering from the shepherd. That's not us being lost. That is in the context of, as we follow the shepherd, there will be moments that he leads us from the green pastures into the valley of the shadow of death. We will be surrounded by our enemies. We are not in the wrong place. We are not in the wrong time. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. But where are we? In the valley of death, surrounded by enemies. What does God promise, though? He promises, even in those moments, the shepherd will take care of us. Right? He says, in the valley of the shadow of death, surrounded by my enemies, what happens? The Lord prepares a table for you. And he says, even in those settings, what does he have? Peace and goodness will follow him all the days of his life. So God warns us over and over again, don't have this false sense of entitlement that you are on some easy, smooth path of life where there will be no pain, no hurt, no stress, no worry. No, life's hard. We have sinned both individually and corporately and death and sin reign throughout this land, which we all see right now. You are not entitled to something better than this, but you will be given something better than this one day. Right? When the Lord comes, or when he takes you home, then you will be given more than you ever could have deserved, but you will go through tough times now. That happens. So temptation one, the physical needs. Temptation two, the sense of entitlement that I deserve something better. And what do we see next? We see temptation three, and I call this one really the temptation of comfort. Look what happens. It says again then, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So why do I call this one the temptation of comfort? I call this the temptation of comfort because what Satan is offering Jesus is what Jesus knows he will already get. Right? Jesus is who? He is the King of Kings. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Chosen One. Right? He is everything. And he knows that he will sit on a throne and has sat on a throne and he knows that his father will give him all these things. But what Jesus is about to embark on in this moment is the beginning of his ministry here on earth, which will not be easy. Right Throughout his three years of public ministry, you will see him betrayed, you will see him beaten, you will see him lied about, you will see him ostracized, you will see people wanting to kill him, and you will eventually see him murdered. He will go through unbelievable brutality to achieve what his father has asked him to do. And what Satan is tempting him with here is, I'll give you the kingdoms, and you don't have to do any of that stuff. I will give all those kingdoms to you, and you don't have to go through any of that. Just worship me. This is the fast track, Jesus. This is the easy way. This is the comfortable way. Just worship me and I'll give you all this stuff. You don't have to go through all that pain. You don't have to go through all that. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus centers back on what Jesus always says. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
See, brothers and sisters, while there are different ways that we see Satan tempting throughout this, there's really two main themes that we see him play out. And I think these are two things that you and I will constantly see in our lives. They will manifest themselves in different ways. But two big things that I always see Satan do is first, Satan tries to tempt us with the now. Go after what you want now. Go after instant gratification today and forget long-term payoff. Right? Do what will make you happy now. And that's very dangerous. It's very dangerous because we are creatures who are pulled to look at the eternal in the present. And often when we pursue only the instantaneous joy or the instantaneous gratification of this moment, we push off all the things that are good to us in the long term. You know, I, I, I say this all the time with, with, you know, my struggles with weight. Um, yeah, it feels good to eat whatever I want to eat. Yeah, it feels good to not be physically tired from working out. Um, it also really stinks that when I play with my kids on the floor, I'm sore and it hurts. It also really stinks that things that I love to do, like play basketball or go running, I can't do them like I used to be able to. It's not enjoyable. Now, why have I put myself into this situation? Because it's easy in that moment when you're eating and you're hungry to say, well, this is just one little small decision, no big deal. And ignore what the long-term ramifications of that are. And Satan constantly plays this game with us. Satan constantly tries to say, I can give you better in the moment than going after the righteous and the good. And so I think especially in isolation, we have to watch this because it kind of feels like as we sit in quarantine in our homes and we don't go places and we don't see people, it kind of feels like this isn't even real time. It almost feels like this is this weird season that doesn't count. And that's just not true. Any day you wake up and there's breath in your lungs, that is a gift. And that is a day that will matter for eternity. The decisions you make have value. The decisions you make matter. You have purpose, even if it's in a completely new setting. And so I think we've got to be very careful, just as Jesus was able to constantly push off the desire to claim things now, because why he was focused on the eternal, we have to have that same focus in our own isolation. This isn't just about today. It's not just about feeling good in this moment. It's not just about how do I get through the next hour or week. It's about what am I doing to shape myself for eternity. The second key thing to success here is that the second key thing to success that we've got to see is that this is about who is king of your life. Right, what is Satan really trying to steal throughout this entire time? Throughout the entire temptation, he is trying to steal Jesus' focus from the fact that Jesus has chosen to serve God. And really what Satan is tempting him with is, be your own God, Jesus. Be your own God. You're hungry, make your own food. You want to show the world that you're the Lord? Don't wait for your Father to reveal you. You go reveal you. Throw yourself from the temple where everyone will see you. Let them see you flying above them and they will know who you are. 
You want the world? You want to be a king? You don't need to go through all this. Forget your father's plan and follow me and I can make it happen now. Right? The constant temptation that you see is one, to take things now and to stop serving God and serve yourself. Serve yourself. And we have to remember that's not the path. See, everything, everything to God is about relationship. Everything's about relationship. And what you and I have got to be good at is in our lives as we make decisions, thinking about what did these decisions do to my relationship with God the Father? Does this action bring me closer to Him? Does this action make me fall more in love with Him? Does this action separate me from Him? we got to have that context of everything is about this relationship with the Father. And how do I make that relationship as strong as possible? Because my greatest joy, my most abundant life, my purest happiness, it doesn't come in anything other than in Him. He is life. We talked about this on Easter Sunday. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's not just being metaphorical there. When man was connected to God, we were as live as we have ever been. It was only once sin came into our lives and separated us from the Father that death came into this world. Life comes from God. And so what Jesus prioritized above all things was, what do I need to do to be close to the Father? Always. What do I need to do to be close to the Father? And so, brothers and sisters, those would be my my encouragements to you, those two things. One, always think about what your actions mean in context of your relationship with God. Always be striving to make that relationship stronger, more intimate, and more loving. And don't think you have to take giant leaps each day. Take baby steps. But get there. Every day should be a day that you are closer in relationship and intimacy with God. And you want to know how you do that well? You do it the same way we saw Jesus do. Do you realize every time Jesus was tempted, what did he respond with? He responded with the Word of God. See, this book is not a manual for life. It is not just an archive of wisdom so that you can go, okay, here's some good techniques to apply. This is a love letter from your father. This is a note from God the Father to you, his child, revealing to you the way that he loves you, revealing to you the purpose and the passion that he has for you, revealing to you the truth that he knows you need to be successful and to have joy and to know him. And so many of us are throwing this aside while we binge what, Tiger King? While we sit down and watch an old TV show that we watched a million times over? How many of us are filling our time and our hours sitting on the couch watching junk when what sits in our hands is a love letter from our Father revealing to us the way of life? And notice, each time that Satan tempted him, what did Jesus do? He used his Father's words to stay strong. 
And so brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you is keep that relationship first and foremost and grow in the word. So many distractions are gone. So many things that sucked away your time are gone. Fill it with the word. Let me give you these last two verses. Psalm 8410. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Right? What is he saying? He is saying there is nothing better than being in God's house and being in God's presence. I would take the lowest job in the kingdom of heaven over the greatest job in the world. And what is our key to staying motivated? Our key is to be in the word. It's to be in the word of God and to know the word of God. Notice, if you don't know the word of God, Satan comes at you, tempting you with the word of God. You don't, need, you don't only need to memorize verses. You need to understand how to use those verses. You need to understand their context and their meaning. And so that's why God encourages us. Know the word of God. It says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way very prosperous, and then you will have good success. When? When you know the word of God, when you meditate on it. Right? You read it, you speak it, you think about it, you pray about it. That's when you will be successful. This is a time where you should be coming so skilled in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of Truth. And so, brothers and sisters, my, my encouragement to you in the midst of isolation, in the midst of new temptations is keep your focus on your relationship with God and bury your head in the Word of God. And if you do those two things, you will find that just like Jesus came out of the wilderness, not weak, but strong. Just as Jesus came out of that wilderness with a mission and a purpose to go start His kingdom. Maybe you two can walk out of quarantine ready to build the kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we live in a time and age where even when, when sickness like this strikes, that, Father, we are still able to get together, that we are still able, Lord, to communicate with one another, that we are still able, Lord, to preach your word to many. I pray, Lord, that throughout this time that we will be people of purpose and passion, that we will not fall into bad routines, that we will not give in to weak temptations, but that, Lord, we will put you and your kingdom at the foremost of our mind. I pray, Lord, that we are building new habits, and at the center of those habits is our hunger, our desire, and our meditation in the Word. Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for promising that you will always give us the strength that we need to get through. You've never promised that it would be easy, Lord, but you have promised that as long as we stay by your side, you will give us everything we need to be victorious. Father, we seek that victory in Jesus. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we will stay the course with you. 
In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I hope that you stay strong in the word. I hope you stay safe. And I hope you have a great joy in your heart because any day that you wake up and know you can talk to the Lord, that is a wonderful day. May God bless you. May God use you. We will see you soon.